This is a Pele Media Podcast. Welcome back to Jurassic Park Minute. Jurassic Park Minute is the fan podcast that chronicles and overanalyzes the classic 1993 film Jurassic Park. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. Oh, I forgot to say minute by minute. You did. Yeah, well, something fell a little off. It does it minute by minute. I think, you know, everything's going real smooth so far tonight. So I think yeah, I, got, I, I got relaxed and into a groove there where everything was like, hey, nothing can go wrong. And instantly... Something went wrong. You're probably still in that like post-Thanksgiving just state of chill. I am. The euphoria of having a belly full of turkey and pumpkin pie and coffee and having passed out on the couch watching football, even though I'm not really into football. It's uh, it's yeah. it was a long, fun night of Thanksgivinging it up. So. Had a really good time. But uh, yeah, hey, we're back here in the studio. It's a Friday show, and we're on to minute number 29 of Jurassic Park. So uh, That's how, right. How was your Thanksgiving? Oh, it was pretty good. You yeah. were there. I was there, yeah, yeah. So it was pretty good. <laughs> we hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving as well. Today's Black Friday, so maybe people are listening to this while they're standing in line to get a new uh, 65-inch TV, a 4K Ultra HD TV from, right. the, from the Best Buy or the other big box store or something like that. So if you're joining us from line, turn to the person around you and be like, Man, you gotta listen to this podcast. You like Jurassic Park, right? And uh, if this is uh, after you're done, you've done your Black Friday shopping. Uh, we really hope your bruises are healing up pretty quickly. True, so, true, yeah. true, true. So, uh, in the spirit of uh, American excess and consumerism, would you like to go ahead and get into minute number twenty nine? <laughs> Jurassic Park. Yeah, let's, well, do, let's it. do it. In the previous minute, we met Doctor Henry Wu, the chief geneticist at Jurassic Park, and got to see the hatchery where dinosaurs are born. As the minute ended, Dr. Grant and John Hammond noticed an egg that was about to hatch. At minute number 29, a robotic arm reaches down and holds a twitching egg still. Hammond puts on a pair of latex gloves and states that he insists on being present when a dinosaur is born. At 29.06, we cut to a shot of an egg with a crack in it. The robotic arm is still holding the egg straight up as Grant watches intently. Hammond says, come on. Slowly, something pushes its way out of the egg. As the creature continues to push its way out of the egg, squeaking can be heard. At 29.18, we cut to another shot of the egg, this time over Hammond's shoulder. The robotic arm has disappeared. At 29.24, as Hammond continues to coach the baby dinosaur on, we can see an eye appear inside of the egg. Hammond tells the dinosaur to push. At 29.30, the baby dinosaur reaches out of the egg and grabs onto the shell with its tiny claw. After a few seconds, Hammond reaches over and removes some of the shell from the dinosaur's snout. Hammond continues to remove the shell as the dinosaur lets out a tiny scream. At 29.42, we cut to a shot of the dinosaur emerging from the egg. Hammond says that they imprint on the first creature that they come in contact with. He goes on to state that it helps them trust him. Grant points at himself. Hammond says that he has been present for the birth of every creature on the island. At 29.56, Malcolm tells Hammond that surely he hasn't been present for all the births that have happened in the wild. Dr. Wu walks around the side of the table to state that they can't breed in the wild. And thus ends minute number 29 of Jurassic Park. Alright, so uh, this one has a very obvious flub in it that I want to talk about right off the bat. And it's uh, the robotic arm. I I debated on pointing this out to listeners because I'll never be able to watch this scene again without seeing it. But you know what? We're here to talk about this movie as it is. And I want to say that when we talk about the flubs in this movie, we aren't really talking... We're not making a statement on how good or bad the film is. I mean, you know, the best movies ever made. It's okay. It doesn't matter. Let it go. It's ironic that we're... uh, Talking about a Steven Spielberg film, um, he was talking about his decision to, in an interview uh, within the last few years, 
to go back and sort of alter ET and take the guns right. out of the agents' replace hands them and, with, yeah, with uh, microphones, walkie talkies, yeah. yeah. And um, he said that uh, he was going to alter it, you know, to bring it back to its original form for the DVD release or something, mm-hmm. and that you can't do that. You can't alter an original version of a film because that's what the film is. It's a moment in time. It's a moment in history, and the strings that are holding up, um, you know, pythons as UFOs and some old. You know, yeah, like the world of the worlds or yeah, something. Yeah, stuff, yes, exactly, stuff like that. In fact, I think that's the example I'm trying to look uh, looking for. Um, that's part of what makes that movie what it is. Yeah, and you you can't remove stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's fine. It it doesn't make it any less of a movie, you know, unless mm-hmm. you've got like some gaping plot hole, like a character dies and then they show back up later in the movie. Which you know, the term plot hole's really been misused a lot lately on the yeah. internet. I think there are logical inconsistencies that happen in movies, which. Uh, you know, not everything should be held to like perfect logic in, mm-hmm. in a film. Uh, it's not going to work folks. It's a movie. It's, it's, it's not supposed to be real, but the term plot holes really thrown around a lot. Plot hole is when you have a character that, uh, maybe is dead and shows back up later. That would be a very bold, uh, example yeah. of a plot hole, but you know, there's a lot of little logical inconsistencies of things or things that don't really add up. That's not necessarily a plot hole. So all that aside, Let's talk a little bit about this minute. I know that you have a lot of notes on this I one, do. don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So first things first, um, the laboratory in this film. Yeah. We're, we're, we're talking about a film at the time of this recording that's, I think, like, what, 23 years old or something? At no point in this film does it feel dated to me. Yeah. And even yeah. when you're looking at Ford Explorers that were like, you know... Well, are, they, they hit that Eddie Bauer Ford Explorer design was pretty much perfect out the gate. You know, I don't think they really perfected yeah. on the Explorer design for a long time. But yeah, yeah, that, that doesn't feel like it's aged at all. And like the, the laboratory you're talking about, really the only thing that kind of looks like it stands out is maybe the computer monitors. Yeah, the computer monitors. And even then, it's not really taking me out of it. It's the fact that like it looks tangible and it looks believable and familiar... Uh, helps me accept the things that this movie is trying to sell me. And that's the whole purpose of this movie, is to tell me that what is implausible is plausible. Yeah, okay, so I'll say that I agree with you. The laboratory looks like it's it's held up pretty well. Uh, the CD-ROM that Lex is using inside of the Ford okay, that, Explorer, yeah. that's a little bit the 90s. The Unix system. Yeah, the Unix yeah. system, which apparently is a real system. Did you know that? I did not. I got a message today from, uh, I believe it was Mike. Mike was writing us about minute number 26 just to let us know that the Thinking Machine supercomputer is an actual thing. Thinking Machine is an actual corporation that makes computers. So, uh, like we said, we thought it might be kind of a nickname for the super smart scientist that Mr. DNA was using. But no, in fact, there actually is a gigantic Thinking Machine computer that would tally up all this data and sort it out, you know, so basically looking like a gigantic billion, uh, three billion line spreadsheet or something like that. So, Mike, thank you very much for writing us in and letting us know about that. But he also wanted to let us know that later in the movie, when we talk about the Unix system, that that actually was a real thing. Mm -hmm. uh, And that's a real silicon graphics application called FSN. So the one that Lex is using in the movie is an actual thing. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, so the Unix system. But yeah, to, to to speak to what you're talking about here, Star Wars isn't my. I don't doesn't really bother me so much. Uh, Star Trek doesn't bother me so much. I, the the older tech. I don't know. I guess because everything around it looks aged as well. I kind of accept it. You know, uh, as long as the principles behind it are kind of interesting or futuristic. But um, you know, you take a movie like Alien that uh, holds up great because everything is so grungy and just like uh, is uh, industrial in its form. Then a movie like Prometheus, which is a prequel, comes along and they've got like 3D displays and stuff like that. Well, I can kind of give that a little bit because the Prometheus was like a cruiser class, you know, like a personal trillion dollar ship for for Whalen, uh, whereas the other one was basically a tugboat. You know, so there's some, t- some cases where I can accept it, but... Um, yeah, in this case, I think this holds up really well, but there is a little bit of excess of use in Jurassic World. And I think that probably comes from the fact that there are 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of animators on these movies now. And sometimes those guys have to have something to do during the day. So somebody's like, I don't know, make like a 3d, you know, like see through thing over here. And, uh, you know, uh, so yeah, it's, it's a little bit outlandish. I'll accept it a little bit more in a Marvel film, you know, when we're on the, uh, the deck of the shield helicarrier and some guy's got like a 3d screen that he's using or something like that. You can see through it for some reason. It works a little bit more for me. Anyway, back to your point though. Uh, yeah, this holds up remarkably well. All right, so let's talk a little bit more about uh, B.D. Wong. Yeah, tell me about B.D. Wong. Wu. Okay, well, so as we all know, as we've gotten into so many times already in the show, uh, the character of Henry Wu was massive in the book. He's one of the biggest characters in the book and is only in the movie for maybe like a minute and a half or something. Well, B.D. Wong had a pretty, uh, pretty interesting career. He was in, he's played a multitude of like types of characters. One is just to the extreme as... Uh, the wedding planner in Father of the Bride. He's hilarious in that. And then things like Jurassic Park, where he's much more toned down, much more realistic. He was also in Seven Years in Tibet and voiced a character in Mulan. Uh, he's also had um, a very lengthy television career. Uh, he was on Law & Order for years. Gotham, Oz, or just a few others to name. Yeah, didn't he play Hugo Strange on Gotham That's recently? Right, yeah. yeah, yeah, he yeah. did a great job. Yeah, he was that. awesome. I do recognize him from Law and Order as well, but I did not realize that he was Frank's assistant from Father of the Bride. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's crazy. He's got a lot of range. Yeah. Obviously, he was a little bit let down um, whenever he came to the set for Jurassic Park and was only there for one day because he had auditioned for the part through scenes from the book. So I think he was under the impression that this was going to be a much larger part. Uh, and then it wasn't. He's kind of in, and then he's kind of out. So. One of my favorite things about Jurassic World was the fact that they brought Dr. Wu back. And that was a personal choice on behalf of uh, Colin Trevorrow when he was writing the screenplay. A lot of people wanted Trevorrow to bring back characters that we knew from the previous films. Because we're all fanboys and we all love these characters. and you know. Uh, but Trevorrow said that it, it would have been disrespectful to do that to those actors and those characters. To try and shoehorn them in. Well, the only character that would have made sense to come back to this uh, follow-up film is Dr. Wu. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He was, it seemed like a very natural thing that he would have been rehired by the company or kept on by the company to head up the biosciences division or whatever it is that, that, it, that he does over at Engine. So it, seeing him in the movie felt natural. It felt like the real tie to the first one that was needed. Yeah. I never really saw, I've heard some people say that they see Dr. Wu as a villain and I've never really seen that. I just see him as a really confident guy who's kind of overlooking uh, certain mistakes or not, yeah, he's just not seeing them because he's so excited by all the other scientific leaps and bounds that he has been able to accomplish. Yeah, so this is science in with ethics removed, in, in a way. And that's Perfect. kind of, yeah. it's like you're an unwilling bad guy. You didn't mean to go out and do anything intentionally bad, but because you kind of thought about, as Dr. Malcolm says, the can before I should, you know, all yeah, about exactly. can I and not about should I, yeah. And that so, uh, he ends up doing something bad, so yeah. It is easy for people, fans of the films, to... Um, say that they think of him as a villain because he's involved in Jurassic World with uh, the um, Vincent D'Onofrio character. And Vincent D'Onofrio is kind of manipulating him by saying, look, I understand and I appreciate and respect your skills, your capabilities. So why don't you work for me on this project I have in mind on, you know, uh, militarizing these things. And of course, that's building up someone's ego. They're going to be like, yeah, sure, man. You, yeah. you really like what I do? Yeah, I'll do it. And then, of course... Oh, you're you a know. fan? Well, sure. Let yeah. me help you out. <laughs> and uh, that just seems like it's within this character's plight. So mm -hmm. I... And then, of course, we see in the end of Jurassic World, spoiler warning, uh, he's been kidnapped. 
Yeah. So I'm really... Was it that he was kidnapped? I thought he jumped on a helicopter and took off after well, taking says, some of the samples with yeah, him. Yeah, he says like, um, wait, you know, where's Hoskins? Something to the degree that he was supposed to be on the plane. And uh, Hoskins mm-hmm. said, listen, I'm going to get you all this about to just go to hell. I want you to get some of your specimens. You get on this helicopter. I'll be there. We'll get you out of here safely. And then sure enough, the engine uh, guy, whoever the worker is, is like... Don't worry, does, you're gonna. Does be the engine logo safe. like slowly peel off, and it says Biosyn <laughs> underneath it? <laughs> or I can see him like at God, the door, going like, "Nice try, Biosyn." Yeah. Closes the door, and it says Biosyn on it. Yeah, uh, that would have been that would have been ideal. Yeah, but no, man, that was this, their way of like saying, "Okay, well, we got we've got this stuff, whether you know, yeah, he likes it." Do or you not. think they capped him as soon as he got in there? <laughs> On that note, yeah. that's all I have for this minute. Okay. I really don't have much for this minute at all, other than that one little flub of the the little uh, the robot arm being moved. So the robot arm is there to... The robot. <laughs> the robot arm. sound like our grandmother. A robot arm is there to hold the egg steady as it's hatching. And then when we switch to the camera shot over Hammond's shoulder, it's completely gone. Yeah, so, completely gone. Yeah, yeah. All right, great. Well, that wraps it up for today. Folks, everybody go out there and have a wonderful holiday weekend. Spend it with your family. Tell them you love them. If you don't have a family, go out and find somebody else's and sit in for their uh, you know, Thanksgiving scraps. I'm sure they'll give you some. Just something. walk on in the front Yeah, door. just walk into any house. That's what Thanksgiving's about, right? All right, folks. Well, we'll see you on Monday for Minute Number 30. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And until next time, hold on to your butts. Jurassic Park Minute is a fan-supported podcast. If you like the podcast, then leave us a review on iTunes. You can contact us at JurassicParkMinute at gmail.com and visit us online at JurassicParkMinute.com, Facebook.com slash JurassicParkMinute, and Twitter.com slash JurassicMinute. You've been listening to a Pele Media Podcast. For premium content and exclusive podcasts, visit us at patreon.com slash Media. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Media, and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Media.